0: The Greek historian Herodotus wrote about seven great architectural structures. That list became known as the seven wonders of the ancient world. Of those seven achievements, four were destroyed by earthquake. Two were destroyed by fire. Only one is still standing, the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt. This pyramid today has a height of 450 feet or 137 meters. It was the tallest structure in the world for over 3,800 years. And now it's a popular tourist destination. People from all over the world will travel to Cairo and stand next to this enormous structure and just wonder about all the manpower and materials and work that went into creating it. And there are others like today's guest, Alex, who look at the Great Pyramid and think, I'd like to climb to the top of that pyramid. And Alex came up with a plan to do just that. What he didn't plan on was getting caught. Real people in unreal situations. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg
1: from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby.
2: I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it.
1: She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down.
2: Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire.
1: I swear to God, this is this image is burned in my head for the rest of my life.
0: I'm Scott Johnson, and this is what was that like? What were you
1: doing in Cairo? You know, it's funny when you look back on the path that your life has taken and how many events are, you could trace back to just a random choice, sort of an arbitrary event of chance type deal. When I entered college, I had to pick a foreign language and I kind of had done like the French thing in high school and I wanted something a little different. And there were some options, and I just, I saw Arabic on the list, and I kind of just, sure, I'll sign up for Arabic 101. Like, let's go. And that decision has cascaded and changed so much that has followed in my life, including uh, the story we're about to talk about. So that studying Arabic, my college had a, uni- a relationship with the American University in Cairo to do an exchange sort of thing. And so for my third year, I signed up to do that for a full year. I was at the American University in Cairo studying Arabic, taking other courses as well. Um, but from like the fall 2006 semester through the academic year. So you're a college student, you're in Egypt studying the Arabic
0: language, mm-hmm. and you had this crazy idea. How did you, how
1: did this idea get into your head? The break between semesters, the winter break, I, Came back to the U.S. My family wanted to see me. While I was home, I was on Facebook, and I came across a classmate of mine who was taking Arabic with me, who posted these photographs that were just like, "Wait, what?" They looked like they were from on top of the Great Pyramid, Akiza. And I, you know, as I read the captions and the comments and all that, it was yes, indeed, that's exactly what was going on. And I thought, like, how did this? How did you possibly do this? So I was anxious to ask him about it. I returned to Cairo, flew back to Cairo in sometime in early January. And when I saw him, I was like, dude, (laughs) we need to have a conversation. How was that really on top of the pyramid? He said, Yeah, yeah, it was. It's like, how did you make that work? And he told me, you know, that he went late at night to he and a friend to sort of the site, the monument site. Gave a guard a uh, hundred pounds, which at the time was about US twenty dollars, just to let him enter the park. And the guy, you know, let him let him through. This is very believable. Uh, bribery is a bribery. Greasing palms is an effective way to get things done more efficiently in Egypt and across the Middle East. Uh, so, because like one third of Egyptians live on less than two dollars a day, so twenty bucks in in you know someone's pocket is a big deal. So I was like, really? Wow, that's that easy, huh? And he said, yeah. So that put the idea in my head, especially because I had been an avid rock climber since I was about 13 or so. So clearly I wanted to climb
0: this. This, you know, this makes me think of something that parents say. (laughs) If your friend jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, would you do it too?
1: (laughs) Apparently you would. Well. it's a fair point. Um, you know, I was 20 at the time and there were all kinds of decisions that I made when I was 20 that I would <laughs> neither repeat nor endorse now. So, you know, not fully developed brains and, and whatnot. Uh, it just sounded really cool. It do- I'll give you that. It does sound cool. Yeah.
0: So you were an avid rock climber, you said already, and you had a rock
1: climbing friend, Ryan. How did you guys meet? Yes, he became my best friend. We met at our local climbing gym uh, in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm from. When we first met each other, we didn't like each other at all, and then we became just the closest of friends. Spent all our time together. You know, so close. So we had such a close friendship that uh, I was going to turn 21 in March of 2007, and sort of as a birthday present, he, I think he was in college in Massachusetts at the time, booked a booked a ticket to come see me in Cairo and we were going to hang out for a week. Yeah. So anyway, we, we met at the climbing gym and we were climbing partners, sort of, you know, there's a climber, there's a belayer right down, managing the ropes and all that. And so people typically climb in like partnerships and that's the kind of relationships that we had. So it seems like a climbing partner coming to visit you
0: Mm -hmm. and you had this crazy idea of Mm -hmm. climbing the pyramid. Like it's like all the details are sort of coming together. You wanted him to come, go with you, obviously. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you
0: bring him into this?
1: Kind of as a surprise and kind of because I wasn't so sure yet myself. I mean, I, I knew I really wanted to do it, but it's, you yeah. know, I was nervous yeah. about doing that. Of course, because it's, I mean, this is highly illegal. Yeah, 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 yes. <laughs> so, you know, I was really thinking hard about it and I didn't want him to be you know, super jazzed about the idea and then find myself sort of thinking, Oh, um, maybe this isn't such a good idea. So I waited until he was in Cairo and he was totally in. He was like, this, that's amazing. That's it. like, let we should do this. He was there for almost a week before you even told him, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, if I recall, it was sort of like the climb happened on his penultimate night in Cairo. I think I told him maybe the day before that. So three days before he was to depart. Probably in the morning, because I kind of had to I mean he had questions, you know. <laughs> it was sort of as like, wait a minute. Yeah. So I sort of was immersing my I had studied Arabic for a couple of years in the culture. He's coming into this totally blind. So he definitely had some questions, but then he was in. But this climb isn't like typical climbing the side of a mountain.
0: It this is do you need to take equipment or ropes or for the for the pyramid? No, no, no.
1: No. I mean because
0: it's at an angle, you don't 90 degrees. What is the
1: angle of that you that you'd be climbing? I don't know actually. It's a really good question. But it's not quite what you described. The angle is not as gentle as it looks from the ground, it turns out. I found that out sort of halfway up the climb when I looked below me and I thought it would sort of fan out like a staircase and it, it yeah, you're if you fall, you're gonna probably maybe like skipping a stone across a pond. You might hit a few of the, but you're you're going straight to the ground.
0: You planned it, obviously, at night, just for less visibility. Yes.
1: What happened? You guys started by drinking a lot of coffee. Egyptians might get mad at me for saying this, but you know, Turk what you think of as Turkish coffee, right? Heavy grounds Toward the bottom, it's very, very strong, typically with a lot of sugar. So yes, we were certainly pounding that to make sure that we would be awake even just to get there. And then also the energy for the client. As if the adrenaline wouldn't do the trick. There was that, but you know, yeah, that was a nervous energy that sort of, but the coffee helps, certainly.
0: What time do you leave to set out uh, to head toward the pyramid?
1: I would say it had to be between like 1 and 3 a.m., something like that, to hail a taxi. And Cairo's is a city of 18 million people. I mean, there's stuff going on all night long. So you can eat, very easily find uh, a taxi, but you can't really just hail the taxi and say, like, take me to the pyramids. It's going to raise an eyebrow, right? So it was sort of, I just, we hailed a taxi and I gave the location to be, there's kind of a, like an area outside the main gate. It's actually a pizza hut that has probably one of the best Views of the of the monument site from, from a pizza hut that's there. So I, I sort of gave that as the location and just had him drop us off there near the main ticket booths of the, the pyramids. It almost seems like you're overly cautious.
0: Like, what's the taxi driver going to say? Is he going to call the police? Like, these guys wanted to go to the pyramids at 3 a.m. Something's up.
1: Right. Which, which does, I mean, which of course is absurd and wouldn't define Like, he doesn't care. Like, he just he wants his fare, right? And so I think you're onto something there that it was indicative of the, not anxiety, but like the nervousness around like not wanting to screw this up. (laughs) Getting into legal trouble in, you know, a foreign country doesn't sound like a lot. I mean, they have a whole show about it, right? What's it called? Locked Up.
0: We've all seen
1: Locked Up Abroad. Right. So, you know, it's um, not usually on people's bucket lists. So yeah, there probably were some steps that we took that were overly cautious, but better safe than sorry type deal.
0: There are multiple pyramids at this location. Why,
1: why did you choose this particular one? Well, I guess I can think of three reasons. One, it's the it's the one that my friend, my classmate did. So I knew like, if there were other factors that made him decide on that, whatever, I knew that that one was doable because I know someone who did it. One. Two, it's the tallest. I mean, there's something to that. It's 481 feet, if I've got that right, tall, about 187 meters. And so, you know, if you're going to climb a pyramid, you might as well climb the tallest one. And probably most importantly is its peak. The smaller of the two is a true, complete pyramid that has like a pointed, you know, top for reasons that I don't know. The larger of the two does not it's missing sort of the top couple percent of 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 the stones and there's a flat landing or kind of a platform up there so you could actually summit and like hang out yeah that's a big advantage for sure yes i mean yeah so you get there and you start to starting to survey how to get in yeah kind of like just checking the area out for because like we don't we don't know what we're doing i got as much advice from my classmate as i could but when you're actually in there, it's kind of like, well, what, what do you do? So we're walking around. There is a, there, at the time, there, is a, uh, there was a perimeter fence, but the security was so poor that it, that stretches the definition of both perimeter and fence, to call it that. And we did find a gap that was away from the main entry, uh, the main entrance. You know, not like a gaping hole, but it was obvious that it would be fairly easy to get through. And so we thought, we'll we'll just give that a try. So we did. Well, that area was guarded. (laughs) Out pops a guard and sort of, whoa, 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 stop. I was pretty nervous at this point. I mean, I had done the sort of the bribery, tipping with, let's call it tipping, um, for sort of casual things. You know, if you like extra service at a, you know, like, You can get things done very quickly. If I had to deal with government paperwork, because I was a student abroad, you could, you know, the person at the counter, slip them some money and be in line faster, that type deal. But nothing like this. So I was pretty nervous at this point. But when the guards stopped us, it was like, okay, you know, uh, here we go. And so I reached into my jacket and I pulled out a hundred pound note. Uh, and I sort of said, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, for the, you know, inconvenience here. I, you know, I hope that, that this will, you know, sort of make up for that. And he was having, he was not, nope, not having any of it. He was, he backed away palms up. No, 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 no. I can't take that and like, get out basically.
0: <laughs> what bad luck. You run into a guard with a little
1: bit of integrity. Right. Exactly uh yeah the chances of that were pretty low I, the chance that the spot was even guarded was extremely low
0: because yeah this is middle of the night they don't there's yeah. there's normal viewing tourist hours during the day right nobody's right. going to be wandering around there at that, that time of night except for the
1: security guards and people who are trying to break in the- exactly <laughs> yeah But yeah, this was a spot where there was not a natural security post. He was like, and he was not, obviously, if we had seen him before we tried to get in, we wouldn't have tried to go there. So he was probably just just hanging out at a sort of unofficial post. It was a surprise. So it seems like this is a critical part of your
0: adventure here. Did you, at that point, think, okay, well, I guess it's not going to happen.
1: You're right. It was a critical point because we were dejected, um, sort of, The plan, the only method that I had learned how to make this work fail, but we weren't willing to give up just yet. But we are bummed. We're, you know, walking around perimeter sort of discussing between ourselves, like, do we just go home? Like, no, we should, like, we're here, you know, like, um, you know, Ryan, you're leaving soon to go back home. This is, we're going to do this. And it would kind of go back and forth like that. Eventually we find ourselves back near the main gate and are still sort of discussing what we ought to do when one of us, I don't remember who says like, look at the guy, the the, the very main security booth, like right at the entrance, like check it out. And the guard there was elbow on knee, head in palm, Snoring asleep, totally out. And so Ryan and I, you know, sort of exchanged glances and shrugged. <laughs> That's this is, you know, this is our inn. And there were no other guards in the area that could mm-hmm. have seen you. But surprisingly, not, no, not that I recall. I think there was like the one sort of main gatekeeper, if you will. And then we didn't know what we were going to find inside. But there was a shopkeeper who, like I said, again, that you like being. Cairo at 3 a.m. There are still little sort of bodega type things that are open. And he was leaning in the doorway of his, he was, you know, alert and awake. And he's, he, he saw us standing there.
0: How far away was this
1: shop from the main gate? Yeah. I'm really bad with distances, but I would say a couple hundred feet. Like half a football field close enough to,
0: he could see that you guys were kind of walking around.
1: Yes. And that we were suspiciously. And that we were in that we were interested in the entrance to the pyramids <laughs> whatever yes uh, and so it's kind of a different version of the you know bribing the guard thing but I did have enough I had you know only been in country for seven months eight months whatever it was but I did have enough uh street knowledge to know that we needed to patronize this guy's shop if we were going to mollify him to sort of turn a blind eye to whatever it is that we were about to do. So I was like, okay, we're, we we got to go do this. So we did, we went in, I bought a bag of peanut M&Ms, a little one of kind of mini size ones. I don't remember what Ryan got. And that did work. I mean, the guy, I don't even think, I think he stayed at the cash register. He didn't even come back to the doorway. So we were on our way. Guard was still asleep. And so we just literally snuck right past him, just, walked straight through into the main end. So the gate wasn't locked or closed or anything. It was just, he would be
0: there spotting somebody coming in if he were awake.
1: Yeah. Like I said, at the time in 2007, it it really was quite porous. The whole thing was very penetrable. And so he was supposed to sort of act as, as, as the gate and uh, he was tired. (laughs) So now you're in. We're in. So just to orient, in space, when you're looking at the main entrance, you're, it sort of is the iconic photo. The Sphinx is like in your face, right? We're straight ahead. And the pyramids are kind of staggered. The two main pyramids at the site are sort of staggered behind behind that. So when we enter, the Sphinx is in front of us and on the left. And, you know, it is a obviously very popular tourist site. So there is a like a trotted path to follow that people would walk to go see things We're just walking on that. And there's a retaining wall on the left-hand side that, you know, for whatever reason, I guess, to separate the sort of the actual site from the walking path. Uh, And we were kind of, you know, not cartoonishly sneaking tiptoeing, but we were ducked a little bit crouching and using the retaining wall for some cover because there was a maintenance crew doing something on the Sphinx itself a pretty sizable one actually it's way too hot during the day in cairo to probably do that kind of work and plus it detracts from the tourist factor right so they must do that stuff at night and so we didn't want them to spot us they was unlikely that, that they would have if we had just walked normally but again we're nervous so we're kind of using but they're they're just doing their job though they're not they're not there to guard the place no no no, no. it was very clear that they were either Uh, It it didn't even seem like they were, you know, Egyptologists doing some kind of, it was like some kind of preservation work, you know, there was scaffolding that was involved, etc. So who knows what they were And they were very involved, chatting amongst themselves. Egyptians are very charismatic and charming and love humor. And so lots of like boisterous laughter and and they were not paying attention to us. But nonetheless, we, we did, you know, use the retaining wall as some cover. At some point, we like kind of paused and had a whisper conversation among ourselves. I don't remember what the decision in front of us was, but like, should we, you know, do this or this? Or this? When we hear a sound all of a sudden, and we turn around, and it was another, I mean, like 10 feet away, a guard, but he's snoring. He's also asleep. He, he clearly, this also was not an official post. Um, but he clearly had, maybe to avoid the detection of his supervisor, wanted to grab a quick nap. I mean, he was right there. It was like, well, okay, we got to go. So we start moving quite a bit more quickly past him, just in case we would wake him up and we'd be detected. We're past the Sphinx. Now it's behind us on the left, sleeping guard that we didn't expect, behind us on the right, on the main path. and. At the monument site on the left hand side, it's no longer uh, there, but it was really weird. I never went inside this thing, but it was this museum that supposedly held something called a solar boat. It was called the Giza Solar Boat Museum. This held uh, an actual artifact, you know, an actual ship called a solar boat. And they were the vessels that were used to transport the body of the pharaoh upon his death to the burial site at the pyramid. And so it was like the boat from life to the afterlife was the idea. But it like, looked like, have you ever like flown in, uh, internationally into Dulles? No. Okay. Well, they have these weird like little, they're like pods that carry you from the plane to the, to the gate. It just looked like a weird capsule. That is on the left. Then there's the path. And then the one side of the pyramid is directly on the right. So we're between those two things. We're we're there. We are at the base of the pyramid. We're using the museum thing and the pyramid itself as cover from, from both sides. There's supposed to be guards at each of the four points at the base of the pyramids. But we noticed that on the far side, away from us, there was a sort of a makeshift campfire going and they were gathered around that and talking amongst themselves i'm sure that you know the night shift got i mean nothing's going to happen right nothing ever happens and so they don't they weren't staying at their posts and they were just doing their own thing we noticed that it was a concern but it was not you know we were not thinking it was likely that they would stop and turn around and see two people standing in the dark
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida. So I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of CookUnity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have CookUnity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing.
2: Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code WHAT or going to cookunity.com slash WHAT.
0: Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing, two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels, and thankfully that's all backed up by science, and all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature, and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DS01 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try.
2: Trust your gut with Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what.
1: February is a month where there's a lot of sandstorms. Um, and also, for some reason, it's a month where people... Uh, burn a lot of trash and they they do that at night and that kind of warms it up but in this is in you know maybe the third week of March I don't really remember I have a jacket on but Ryan didn't he just yeah he just had a t-shirt on so it must not been that cold and once you start climbing you're going to be warm anyway that's true yes yeah but this was a pivotal moment here I mean we're standing at the base and I'd be curious to know if Ryan would agree with this um but if he had at that point said, "This is not a good idea, man. Let's like let's just get out of here," I would have said, "Yep, you're right. Let's go. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, we'll be on our way." I know I would have felt that way. I wonder if he would say that he felt the same way. That if I had said, "Nah, let's let's forget about this," uh, if he would have fought me on that, or if he would have also... Well, but, but that's not the way it went anyway. You know, it ended up going. Where I looked at him and I said, well, I guess we better start climbing. And Ryan looked back at me and he said, yeah, I guess we should. And he started off, off he goes. And it was like, oh shit. You know, I love that. No hesitation. Just get going. He absolutely did not. I think he was maybe waiting for like a green light for me. Who knows what, I don't know what, what he was thinking, but he, he, he's off. He's off to the races. So I was like, oh, okay, shit. We're, we're doing this uh, here we go. (laughs) So we started climbing. What's the
0: texture of the surface of the wall? Was it, did you know what to expect and was it what you expected?
1: Yeah, I did kind of know what to expect. So on one of the sides surfaces, there is a tourist site. So you, I, I don't remember how far up, but you can go inside of the pyramid and there's like hieroglyphics on the inside and you can see where they would bury the, and so, you know, some version of quote-unquote climbing the pyramid is legal and, in fact, encouraged as part of the experience. So you do, it's not like you're not allowed to touch them. People, yeah, are all, all over them all the time. So, And I had been before just to go and see the pyramids because I'm in Egypt. So I did kind of know what to expect about that. Climbing it when there isn't like an ushered, way to do it is a, diff- was, a uh, was a different experience. These things are massive. It's got about 2.3 million stones, the whole thing, and the lightest in weight of them is about two and a half tons. And at the bottom, they're near 10 tons. It's just absolutely enormous. So I knew about the texture. It is true though, on the angle thing, about the, you know the angle of, of incline. That we were about to scale I did envision, I don't know why more of a staircase type experience. I'm gonna I'm gonna step up and push myself up with one leg and then I'm gonna do it on the next thing and it was not like that at all. And that's why I referenced the size of, of these these stones. Yeah so what was the process of as you went up How did you gain altitude? Yeah so okay so they do it it did change as you uh, ascend um because they the stones do get smaller but when you're near the bottom i mean the next stone that you need to get on top of is about waist level so you're clearly not in a staircase type experience like i had been expecting i would put my elbow or my forearm kind of on the stone in front of me that i needed to get on top of and then hoist you know a leg up to match where my on that stone and then kind of use that as leverage to roll the rest of my body, not roll. It wasn't like that, but as leverage to, you know, get the rest of my body up on top and then rinse and repeat. So at the top of each of the
0: individual stones, there was a little bit of a ledge.
1: Yes. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. Okay. There was a sufficient ledge to, you know, it wasn't like, well, I'm going to lose my balance and fall. Um, you know, yeah, you were comfortably on the next stone maybe about halfway up, I I did look down. You know, people that are afraid of heights don't look down type type thing. But, you know, we were fairly experienced rock climbers. Like, that was not a problem. So I looked beneath me and that was a little nerve-wracking. It does not fan out like a staircase like you would expect. I mean, when you look at any picture of the pyramid that's taken from the ground, it really looks, I don't know why it, this is different when you're climbing it, but it really does look like sort of a gentle and so if you were to fall then it might be like falling down the stairs where really be like ooh, 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 down hitting each step along the way and that is not the case uh, you might skid across a couple of them but you're you're pretty much headed straight to the ground if you, if you fall once you reach a, a certain certain height so that that did make me a little nervous but I mean at this point if you're halfway up it takes just as much effort to go down as it does to just do the other half so There was no thought of stopping. I just noticed it, and it was like, oh, okay. I would say maybe two-thirds or three-quarters of the way up, we do start to hear some sound. And we stopped and paused because we didn't really know what was going on, like what was starting. Well, it was the Aven, which is uh, the loudspeaker that is affixed on top of mosques that announces the call to prayer. Muslims pray five times a day, and this, had to be what's called the Fajr prayer. It happens a little bit before dawn. So one, you know, Allahu Akbar is a, you know, begins the the call to prayer, and uh that's what was happening. One guy the guy uh, the person who whose job that is is called a mu'ezzin. Cairo has about four thousand mosques in it. They call it the city of a thousand mosques, but it's much more. I think now they've synchronized everything and they only have one muezzin and so it's sort of is like it's a standard system and that was not true then every mosque had their own muezzin who would announce the calls to prayer and not everyone's watch is on the same time right they didn't synchronize huh? yeah 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 and and you know the way they would chant the everyone had their own little style you know so one guy starts and then it starts to swell as the other mosques join in. And eventually it was this cacophony. This, the sound enveloped us. We're out in the desert. And it was like sort of a moment of, we're not in Kansas anymore. Uh, you know, wow, this is really cool. What a, a unique soundtrack
0: for the adventure you were having right there.
1: Exactly right. You know, the lights of Cairo on one side. I mean, the pyramids are not remote out in the desert. I mean, like I said, the main gate, there's a pizza hut right across the way. It sort of is at the edge of a mega you know, megalopolis. And so the lights of, of the of Cairo on the one side and the sound of this call to prayer and then the barren desert on the other side. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean it was sort of it was a moment to pause and soak in. The whole climb, if I had I don't totally know, it took about maybe forty five minutes or an hour maybe. Ryan summited first, and I followed not too long after. I was really surprised at how big the platform is. You know, like I said, it's a flat, this pyramid has a flat top to it. You can't get a sense of, at least maybe I'm just bad at this, but a sense of the size from the ground about how big it would be. But I kind of had envisioned, you know, not that we would have to stand in place for fear of falling over the edge. but I. Didn't think there would be enough uh, room to like really kind of hang out. And it's huge. I would say as an adult, you could take like maybe eight to 10 wide stride steps from one side to the other. It's, there's a lot of room up there. I got to the top. Ryan was was seated with his legs kind of dangling over the, the top platform. And, you know, hey, and he looked back and said, you know, hey. And there we were. We were on top of the Great Pyramid. It's
0: over 480 feet tall, which is 187 meters. So you're up almost the height of a 50 story
1: building. Well, Scott, I had never thought about it. Like, yes,
0: <laughs> I'd never thought. About yeah, it. I would be, I mean, I can imagine you'd be a little concerned that if you got up close to the top and slipped and fell, you, you know, that would be a serious fall.
1: It would definitely be a serious fall, but it really is the nature of that platform is such that if you're even just slightly careful you're you're good you're safe what was it what was up there what was it like being on top of this thing we had enough uh, sort of i guess ambient light or you know from i don't know whether it was from the city or what but you could see on the surface of the platform a bunch of names were carved into it so some were like from the 1800s people that had um done this others more recent. I think I read somewhere afterward that in the 70s, this was a very popular thing to do. Someone had left up there in order to continue this tradition, like a Swiss army knife. And it wasn't, I don't remember how, I'd have to ask Ryan, but it sort of said on on the knife itself, on the plastic sort of red surface of a big Swiss army knife, you know, welcome to the club, use this to carve your name into the top of the pyramid. We didn't, we are not interested in defacing the the monument and so ryan pocketed the pocket knife <laughs> and to my i i don't know but to my knowledge i, I would imagine he still has it to this day that's quite a memento i ate my peanut m&ms <laughs> you know and we're just sort of looking hanging I and mean, we were just hanging out uh looking out over the city's lights and uh walking around and taking a few selfies uh, well ryan like i said was really into um analog photography dark crew was really into the whole process and so you know the whole trip he had been very interested in achieving or obtaining quality photographs that he could develop then back in the, in the US i had a little it was called a power shot it was a canon you know a simple little thing but it did have a timer the platform has this like it looks like an antenna almost it's like a wooden structure that it mimics the completion of the actual pyramid shape, and I don't remember exactly how, but you are able to place a camera uh, somewhere such that you could then do a timer and have a have a picture taken. Uh, and Ryan uh, and I both did that, and I took a short video of sort of. I wish I had, I had taken more, to be honest, as it got lighter. But I just have one that's maybe half a minute long of sort of like. This is fucking cool. (laughs) We are on top of the pyramid right now. And just, we were really just taking it all in. It really is an enormous, one of the biggest, most populous cities in the world on one end. And then like quintessential, what you think of as the desert on the other. And so there were, there were, how long did you stay up there? Yeah, probably about an hour and a half, two hours. I would say we got a little bit of, daylight you can see the other pyramid the smaller one that is truly pointed so that was cool we could like we were looking down sort of upon that and just really we kind of laughing at like this is just insane what we just did so yeah it was about an hour and a half two hours something like that it was great I mean, it was truly a magical experience i will never do anything this cool ever again in my life i'm quite certain then it was time to you know get ready to Head on head on down. Young 20 somethings didn't really think things through as much as one perhaps might have. And the problem that we did not anticipate for the descent was the effect of the sunrise. In a big city, when it's dawn when the sun rises, that you know, tall buildings are blocking a lot of light that increases as the day goes on and the sun gets higher in the sky. But at the beginning, you know, we all know what I'm talking about. That was not the case here. So when the sun crested, it might as well have been noon. I mean, uh, there's nothing to, out in the desert, there's nothing to block the sunlight from being just everywhere. It was day. As soon as it was uh, sunrise, it was like a normal, full-on midday day. And obviously, being at
0: the top of the pyramid, there's no
1: tall buildings around you to block the sun from you. You were the tallest. Yes, we were. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we were also int- very interested in not being detected. And detection is obviously significantly easier when there's sunlight. And so, this is the, com- the combination of these factors created a problem. It was time to
0: s- start going down. Obviously, getting up is optional, getting down is mandatory. That's
1: a good point. <laughs> Descending is mandatory. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. And I guess the guards around the campfire at the base thought, well, shit, it probably ought to get back to work now. You know, the day is going to start. And so they resumed their posts. It was time to start descending quickly. (laughs) We we realized the situation that that our chances of being detected were increasing rapidly by the bed.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm putting myself in your shoes. I'm thinking now it's daylight. Obviously, somebody's going to see us as we come down.
1: Yeah we were really hoping to avoid that the cover of night was basically everything you know first of all it was the time when the guard was asleep uh, and second of all obviously it's dark i was definitely nervous about what was going to happen and they they are at each of the four points of the pyramids so it's not like there was a you know a, a more strategic area for the exit you know at some point we're going to go from the last stone to the ground And then we're going to be between two guards.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Did you go down the same surface that you climbed? We did not. We did not. And what was your reasoning
1: behind which way to go down? That's a good question. So I believe we went down the side where, like I said, there's sort of is a part of the monument site where you can go in. I guess we just figured that maybe that would be more stable because of, you know, for safety reasons they would curate that area for normal tourist traffic I'm kind of post hoc thinking about what the reasoning might be but I'm not sure that we put a whole lot of thought into uh, into it we just knew we needed to if we were gonna evade detection at all we needed to get going and what's the process for going down you, I mean I'm picturing you sliding down on your butt yep pretty much yeah you I'd sort of scoot your butt across the surface of the of the stone. Uh, reach down with you know your toe and, and then just put the rest of the weight on your one foot and then get the other foot down. And that process gets more necessary as you near the bottom. Like I said, the stones, they get smaller. They're smaller on top and they're larger at the bottom. And so I don't remember what the very, very top few steps were like. But at some point, it's pretty much scoot your butt, put one foot down on the on the lower one, and then put the rest of your body weight on it. And about a third of the way down, sure enough, I guess a uh, guard looking upward for whatever reason, we we, we were spotted. We were spotted. And he was not happy. He was really, really not happy. He sort of was down, 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 you know, pointing forcefully, like, get down here. So we picked up the pace even more. And I'm very nervous. I'm very nervous at this point. I really don't know why. I don't know how I thought that this was not going to be the outcome. I mean, I guess we needed to leave. I should have asked my classmate about a safe descent. Yeah, the exit strategy. That would have been a good thing to get from him, yeah. It really would have been. I was taken in by the romance of the barricades of of just doing the climb itself, didn't really think about the rest of it. So I my, you know, my heart is racing now. I I realize we're in trouble. And quite frankly, I don't know what kind of trouble it's going to be. And Ryan is very skipped. As we're, as we're scooting along, he sort of turns to me and says, how do you say I'm sorry in Arabic? And I told him and he'd like his voice trembling. Uh, he, he totally butchered it when he got down, but, but he, but he tried. And I have no idea where this, I must have seen this in a movie and my brain in, you know, sort of a panicky state, you know, amygdala activated sort of situation was able to access uh, this idea. But I realized that they, they don't want evidence of this possibility getting out there. And so they're probably going to take our cameras and get rid of our photos. And I said, Hey, Ryan. Switch out your film that you took pictures with, put in a blank, and I'm going to switch out my memory card and put in a blank one. And so we did. We did that. That was sort of as we were descending. And of course, the other guards now from the three posts have all gathered around the one that spotted us to sort of handle the situation. If they were to seize our, my memory card, they would be seizing a blank. And likewise with his roll of camera film. When we get to the bottom. Ryan says, he's sorry. I took a different approach, sort of very overly confident, trying to do the whole Egyptian charm, charisma thing. And just sort of, I offered the guy, he was, hey, do you want, uh, a cigar? Do you want a cigarette? And he just was, he was like, no, you know, I don't want a cigarette. I'm angry. (laughs) He was like, you are in trouble. So, but I was kind of, hey, good morning, you know, uh, uh, isn't it beautiful, uh, you know, trying to, play this down a bit and that was not effective <laughs> at all
0: well the fact that you were already up there it obviously it made them look foolish because somehow you had gotten past them
1: well that factors that factors into uh what eventually happens because that's exactly that's exactly right it probably was a bit of that they're thinking great now we have this whole process that we're going to have to go through um and they were they were in half. and they sort of ushered us to a like a security booth. I think it was near that weird museum thing. I don't know. Six people or so could fit inside the booth. They had to sit on a bench and they were discussing among themselves sort of what to do. Sure enough, they did. Of course, one of the first things they did, they seized the cameras and they grabbed a blank memory card and they seized Ryan's camera and they seized a blank roll of film. And did you try to fake disappointment that, Oh no, there goes our pictures probably not i think we i sort of we probably were like looking kind of down just sort of like away but you know in my periphery i could see what they were doing and i'm sure i couldn't hide maybe a tiny smirk <laughs> again i was learning arabic at this point 3 years wouldn't have called myself fluent in arabic until after about 15 years of studying it so like i could sort of get by with some everyday stuff but like, i don't really know what they're talking about they're clearly having a discussion on how to handle this. One of them kept turning to us and, enter, enter, and, and gestured with wrists near one another. Clearly, you know, that that's how I lear- learned that word. <laughs> you know, like, you are arrested. Like, you are detained. You are in trouble, you know. And it was probably the one that spotted us that kept eating it like three times or so. Ryan was very, I mean, he's like, man, I have to get on a plane like the day after tomorrow. Like, I can't, that's not happening. I can't do that. I, you know, that's it. Like, well, it's not really up to me, man. I don't know what to tell you. We're in some shit here. At some point, I, it was time to act and I did exactly what you suggested earlier. I sort of said, Hey, you know, okay, let's all hang loose a little bit. You can take us downtown and put us in jail and we can do that whole thing, but it isn't going to reflect very well upon all of you because we clearly were able to get past you and you weren't doing your jobs very well. So it's in everyone's best interest if we can find a way to work this out. And there was more huddling and discussing among themselves. They were into it. They bought into it. It's like, "Pooh, geez. Part of this has to do with American privilege in Egypt. The American passport is kind of a shield to a lot of things. That is, it's unfortunate, you know, 20% of Egypt's GDP on average, historically is from tourism. And so if there was a news story about harsh treatment justified or not of Americans by Egyptian forces or officials, that is bad. And so because of that, and because of the reliance of Egypt's economy upon tourism revenue, it's a shield. The password a bit of a shield in, in ways that it is not for Egyptians in their own country, you know, it's not cool. So I was leveraging sort of that, I guess, plus these guys wanting to keep their jobs and us, our wanting not to go to jail to come up with this idea where, Hey, let's just be cool. And everybody go about their business, you know? So one says, you know, come with me. And, And so we follow him and he ushered us over to this, like, I guess I'll call it a holding cell because that's that's at least the function it was playing right now. There were remnants of a campfire, and there was a bunch of camel shit in there. It was just sort of a not an official tourist site. I don't think there were like hieroglyphics or anything of you know related to antiquity. But for some reason, a, a mostly enclosed walled structure where someone had a fire at some point and camels released themselves. And he told us, just wait, do not move from in here. Wait until 8 a.m. Uh, when the park opens to the public, and then just go. That's pretty much what we did. I think we probably had to sit in there for maybe another hour and a half or so. There are photos of, of us sitting in that thing, too. Ryan actually looked pretty alert, but like my eyes are, I'm tired, you know? This was a pretty exhausting experience. You know, I'm kind of like looking. I'm about to go to sleep. Aside from the physical part of the climb,
0: <laughs> I mean, this it's got to be mentally exhausting to, yes. <laughs> you know, to almost get
1: caught and then actually get caught. And yes. And I felt a sense of responsibility sort of throughout the whole trip, frankly, when he was there, because objectively, uh, when I look back on it upon reflection, I didn't know shit, but I was the more, I was the host, you know, and he was the guest and it's like, Hey, you're doing this Arabic Egypt thing. I'm going to trust your judgment on these things. But I felt like, and that adds to the mental energy that was involved in, you know, I felt the obligation to resolve the situation and handle the interactions with the guards and all of that. And and uh, Ryan was kind of just there at everyone's mercy. So I felt really bad about that. And it was, yes, very draining. We got some funny pictures from inside there too. So that's what we did at eight o'clock. The monument site opened for, to the public and we walked right past a main gate guard who did a double take of sort of like wait a minute hold on how, how are, are you how how are you coming from the inside and how could you be a tourist interested in the only still standing ancient wonder of the world and spend like two minutes and then go, yeah, I'm cool, <laughs> saw it, let's go, you know, sort of like, what is going on here?
0: Didn't even ask to get your hand stamped or something, right? You yeah, <laughs> know,
1: right? Yeah, right, exactly, um, exactly right. And so he was just sort of like, what is going on here? Yeah, we did not engage. I immediately hailed the first taxi that I possibly could, and they start lining up uh, around that area at that time. So it was very easy to sort of get in the car and go. And we were just laughing our asses off. The whole ride home, just like, what did we just do? That was when the like the good adrenaline like kicked back in, you know. And we're sort of we're uh, we're safe, we're in safety. We even got to keep our pictures. We accomplished our goal, and it was wild. Best outcome you could have hoped for. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, or not being detected. That that'd be the only thing I would add. Yeah, right. But given the detection, certainly the best outcome that could have happened. When we get back to my apartment, I had an apartment with, the first semester I lived in the student dormitory where the study abroad kids mostly stay, but also some uh, Egyptians stay there as well. And I met and became very good friends with uh, an Egyptian named Mina. He's still a very good friend to this day. For the second semester, he and I had rented an apartment together. We just said, let's get our own place and do that. We get back to my apartment and we're, you know, it's early and we're being loud. And so Mina wakes up and it comes out and like, you know, rubs his eyes like, like what the hell, like what is going on here? And we said like, dude, we've got to tell you what we just, what we just did. And as we describe the events of the night, you know, his mouth, his jaw is increasing, is dropping uh, gradually like, Oh what! He was in total shock. He said, "You do realize that if I did something like this, I would almost certainly be in a jail cell right now, probably being beaten for doing this. Like I cannot believe you guys tried to do this." And this is another—you know—this speaks to the whole American privilege bit. Of you know, it's kind of yeah, it's sad. It, it, I had some access to his heritage that that he was barred from. So I'm, I load the memory card in my computer. I mean, immediately, right. Cause Ryan's going to do his whole artsy and I'm going to use a dark room. And I was like, let's see, you know, he needed to do that later back in the US. And I'm like, and Mina wants to see him too. He's like, show me, you have pictures, show me like, let's see him. So I load them up and we we're checking out the pictures, watching the video and pretty much immediately, you know. Right away, I shoot an email off to my parents and my sister. I don't remember what the subject line was, but it was just "There's like a really good picture of Ryan and I standing on top, and you can see the smaller pyramid in the background, standing side by side, hands around their shoulders, smiling real big, and that it just came out really well." So I chose that one and just put it in the body of the email and sent it off. I remember. My mom responding sort of like oh that's such a cute picture of you and Ryan i hope you guys are having a great trip clearly not understanding you know what was going on she wasn't getting it she she wasn't understanding i i responded and sort of said yeah you don't like take a look take in the surroundings and where do i have to be to obtain this image you know Ryan yeah. and i broke into the pyramids and climbed to the top last night and No doubt an all caps response came back. You did what? (laughs) My poor mother, I probably just about gave her a heart attack. They sort of were like, okay, you're like an adult. I guess you can make your, you know, you're thousands of miles away. But uh, yeah, she probably was stressed out. Yeah.
0: She was worried that you were going to make an international incident or something.
1: Right, right. Then, when she realized what was going on, it was like, I, Oh my God, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing over there? Just go to class and go home.
0: You know, you do crazy things when you're 21 years old. Would you take a risk like this now? No. Uh,
1: I reflected about this. I would not. I think I would have been very jealous of my classmate who, had, who, who did this and be like, man, that's really cool. But I don't think I would have even gone there in my head about, well, how should I plan? I, no, I think, you know, I'm, I'm 37 now. This is uh, when I was 21. And just the risk aversion that accumulates as you age, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think I'd have the, uh, the guts to undertake something like this. And it turns out I would have been barred from the opportunity anyway. About a year and a half afterwards, uh, in August of 08, I got an email from my dad. I don't remember what he said, but it was something like, gee, you guys really, you know, motivated some changes over there. And there was a link to a news story and I opened it up and it was about this huge makeover of the security of the monument site. It talked about how, I think that's where I read the thing about in the 70s, was kind of like a really popular thing to do, but that even, you know, today, people would try to climb to the top and the security was woefully inadequate, et cetera. So it was like, they were installing a 12-mile chain-link fence around the whole perimeter. They were going to put cameras in, alarms, motion detectors. I mean, totally di- I mean, that is, I cannot tell you how different. Complete makeover is the exact phrase. It's, it was night and day because this was just kind of like they put up like something. I don't know how many people between March of 2007 and August of 2008 attempted and did this climb. I'm sure some, but I imagine Ryan and I were among some of the last people that were ever able to do that. These things are
0: solid rock. Yeah. It's not like you could really damage them, but was there any concern that, you know, hey, this is a country's national treasure? We're going to be climbing it, you know, desecrating it or anything. Did you ever
1: have any thoughts about, about how that would be perceived? I did wrestle with this and I think I honestly still do. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great point. Ultimately, I think that the construction started about 2550 BCE and uh they're still standing, so they're clearly quite sturdy. I mean, there is the part that is open to the public, so there is foot traffic already kind of on the monument, but it's limited though. You know, it is right. It they is. walk in, they probably
0: walk out through a gift shop, get little keychains or something. And- no,
1: uh, no, no, it's not like it's not like that. No, but it's like you, it, but if you could imagine, I don't know, let's say you're at a uh, museum that has airplanes in it, maybe a mini little staircase. It It is you are contained and directed, so all of the traffic is taking place in a very specific area, but. Uh, you know, it, it's been around for thousands of years that, you know, you know, Napoleon and, and, you know, all of that, uh, invasion of Egypt and wars and all kinds of natural forces and all that it's, it has stood the test of time quite, quite clearly. And we did take the, you know, Ryan has the knife. We, that was, we weren't into that. I mean, it was cool to see someone from like 18, whatever, you know, who decided to carve that. That was cool, but didn't want to encourage that. I guess I'd have to say if someone who pushes back on my uh, rationalization uh, about the point you're bringing up, if someone really pushed back and said like, yeah, but come on, you know, like you're not supposed to do this. Just like you're not supposed to use flash photography on the Mona Lisa or whatever, you know, little by little, it's going to cause. I probably would have to capitulate at some point if someone really stood their ground about that, but it doesn't keep me up at night, you know.
0: Yeah, if it's if they're still okay after what four thousand years, right? Uh, you know, a couple of U.S. college students <laughs> aren't going to destroy them, and oh. and it sounds like they've got it blocked off because it's not going to happen anymore anyway. Yes, no, it's not. Like
1: I, I when I read the security overall, I was like, oh whoa, yeah, no one is. I mean, unless you came up with a sufficient bribe, I mean, now it would be totally reliant on unethical security cards to. And even then, I guess the cameras would capture it. And I'm sure that people were reading the footage and all that. That's funny. Your whole plan was hinging on this bribery thing. And that completely failed. Totally failed. Can't believe it. Still can't believe it. I mean, you're not allowed. So like at another uh, site, a major, major tourist site, uh, you're not allowed to take any photographs of the inside of the temple because frankly they want you to buy the postcards or the you know the the official images right cuz that's another source of revenue but um very easily you could circumvent that you know the the odds of this plan working were actually quite good and you're right it it like we ran into the one guard i guess who was uninterested in money or who just had had integrity and character so that was that was unlikely. The whole this whole thing was unlikely. If people want to contact you, how should they get in touch with
0: you if they have questions or if they're planning their own escapade up the side of the pyramid?
1: <laughs> I I would be happy to assist. Yeah, uh, by email is good, well, and also I'm on Twitter. I'm sort of off most other social media platforms, but we can list those. I guess those. Um, yeah, that's easy enough,
0: and uh, and obviously we're gonna on the. Uh, show no- in the show notes for this episode we'll have the pictures that you took from oh great cool the top yeah. so people can see that and
1: uh pretty cool <laughs> it's I like i said it is as uh, sort of you know if there's ever i don't know you start a new job and there's like a team building you know sort of like what's an uh, interesting i mean it's my automatic go I'll, ne- I'll never do anything as cool as that ever in my i'm positive of it
0: if you'd like to see a full transcript of this episode as well as pictures of alex and ryan on top of the pyramid you can get all of that in the show notes for this episode at what was slash 137. if you enjoyed this episode and you like hearing stories of people trying to do something without getting caught you might enjoy my conversation with emily from episode 79. she was trying to get through airport security and under her dress was a large volume of cocaine.
1: We just have to ask you a couple questions, a couple further questions. And I was like, okay. And they're like, do you have any drugs in your suitcase? And I was like, no, which I didn't. And they're like, okay, well, just to check, like, we're going to go, we're going to send it through this x-ray and then we're going to scan it. And so they scanned it with like an ion scanner and it came up clean. And I could kind of breathe a little bit, but I still couldn't look him in, I couldn't look him in the face. I just couldn't you know and then he asked me okay well Miss O'Brien we're actually gonna have to do a a body search and he's like is there anything that you want to say before we do that do you you have drugs on you right now and then I had stared at the floor and my ears were ringing so so loud and it took me so long to answer that I had they had to ask me again and that's when I looked up at him straight in the eye and I said yes
0: That's episode 79, titled, Emily Was Caught as a Drug Mule. I have to tell you, I continue to be totally amazed at the conversations we have in the podcast listener Facebook group. Yeah, we talk about podcast episodes, but there's a whole lot more than that. Recently, I posted a question for the group. I asked, what's something you wish you could forget? And wow, some of the answers just blew me away. There were the funny ones, like one person who said the last two seasons of Game of Thrones. But there were others, telling stories of past abuse, or losing a child or a grandchild. Situations where it's easy to understand why you'd want to forget those things. Just story after story from people who really just opened up and spilled their heart out. So far, there are over a hundred responses to that question. It just confirms the fact that you never know what someone has been through, and I just love being a part of all that. If you haven't yet joined us there, I hope you come over to whatwasthatlike.com slash Facebook and get in on those amazing discussions. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lai. And now, here we are at this week's listener story you have a story? I'll bet you do. If you have something interesting you can tell in about five to ten minutes, record it on your phone and email it to me at Scott at whatwasthatlike.com. We end every episode with a listener story, so you might just hear your story right here. This week's story is about an undetected injury. Stay safe, and I'll see you in two weeks.
2: Hey there, this is Maya. When I was 18, I was invited to go sledding. It was my boyfriend at the time, his aunt, uncle, cousin, and myself. My first slide down the hill, my sled, which was one of those saucer type sleds, it spun around so I was sledding backwards. Could not see where I was going. I decided to just hang on and hold through I ended up hitting a tree very hard. Uh, When I came to, I was nowhere near a tree. I had bounced back from the forest and landed several feet away with a broken neck. I did not know I had broke my neck, so I stood up and walked away. In fact, I was more concerned with my boyfriend's aunt because I thought I had hit her. Little did I know that any minute turn of my head or my body could paralyze me from the neck down. Out of all the odds, and throughout this whole experience, I was not paralyzed at all. And unfortunately, nine out of 10 people who experienced the same type of neck fracture are paralyzed from the neck down. Luckily, I was convinced to go to the hospital to get checked out. If anything, I had a concussion, whatever, sure won't hurt things. While awaiting my x-rays, I was getting in and out of bed to use the bathroom and walk around with a broken neck. This is crazy. And once the doctors found out that my C6 was fractured, I could not stop hearing the word miracle. Coming from the nurses, the doctors, my family members, it still echoes in my head today. From there, I was airlifted to a bigger hospital where I laid prostrate for six whole days awaiting my emergency surgery. It was brutal, to say the least. Now, ten years later, I still have my cadaver belt, four screws, and a metal plate behind my throat, holding things together. <laughs> and I can walk, dance, and run around as much as I want. I feel like the luckiest person alive, and I'm so thankful. A few interesting tidbits that I'd like to add from this experience. I'm going to brag for a second. So this happened three months before graduating high school, and I still graduated, and the top 10% was honors. And this is actually pretty funny. I never was a huge sweet person. I never really had a sweet tooth or anything until this happened. And now to this day, I love sweets. And the first thing I ate after coming home from the hospital was an entire box of Chips Ahoy. Not like me at all. (laughs) And my mom, she says that the man I got my cadaver bone from must have been a sweets lover. So thank you to him because sweets are amazing. uh